you have your Bibles, if you'd open them or a device to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll get there in a few moments at verse three. Uh, yesterday, uh, the Boy with the Ball local team does every Saturday, Love Your City uh, efforts in Norcross in a community, we, it's called Sarah Court, and it's, it's just a great community that we've grown to love. And for the last five or six years, uh, a team of people with many volunteers have gone into that community to love and to know and to be known by them. And there's all sorts of things that can be of assistance, but really it's about knowing and connecting. But there's tutoring that goes on on Saturdays and there's an ESL class, English as a Second Language class that happens on Tuesday nights where, where they're having like 50, 60 people come out for that. And many of you are volunteering there for that. Many of you went yesterday, about 13 of our young people in our youth group, which by the way is with some of those uh, families in the Sarah Quarter, a part of our group. I, I, I wanna highlight that and I wish I'd put a picture up because God is at work doing some phenomenal things in our community. And I just wanna encourage you to be involved, to look where the Lord has for you to be engaged. It may not be down at Sarah Court on Saturdays, it may be right in your own neighborhood with your neighbors and that would be really wonderful because God's called us to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so that is what our church community as a family is all about. And so I just wanna encourage you to be involved and to be engaged. What do you do when things get really, really hard? When they get so hard, you're suffering and there's pain and, and hardship, affliction maybe even, and you begin wondering, how in the world am I gonna get through this? You know, there are some that in the middle of that kind of difficulty and hardship, they, they start feeling like God has abandoned them. Uh, they might feel like he doesn't love them anymore. But I think most of us that have walked with the Lord long enough, we, we know that's not really true, even though we might feel it. But we do oftentimes, even though we don't resort to thinking that he has abandoned us or his presence and his love is not there for us, we oftentimes view hardship as a barrier to our spiritual growth. When in fact, hardship is the pathway to spiritual growth. David said in Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Say what? Wait, let's just back it up, David. What did you just say? It is good for me that I was afflicted. How many times have you said that this week? Boy, that hardship, that affliction, that's really good for me. I don't hear many of us saying that, praying that, believing that. But David says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I might learn your statutes. We've probably all learned that many things that are good for us are not very enjoyable. <laughs> They're not very fun. But nonetheless, God uses them. He uses them to train us, to work things into us, because he is our father, and he is graciously shaping us to be like his son. Uh, the 16th century reformer John Calvin endured many hardships in his life. I'm not here to 
promote Calvinism, but he, is, he was a great man. I believe some of Calvinism, I don't believe it all. But I think his life is a good model for us. He, he endured a lot of things, things from annoying, annoying little irritations all the way to really major suffering. For example, his critics in Geneva threw rocks through his windows when he was studying. And they were known for firing guns outside of his house to keep him awake at night, which is what I feel like on July 4th and New Year's Eve in my neighborhood. But then I realized they don't even care about me. They're just doing it for fun. Uh, Calvin found death threats on the pulpit when he got up to preach, which is something I'm glad none of you have done to me. I found googly eyes, but at, up to this point, no death threats, so thank you for that. People mocked him by naming their dogs Calvin. <laughs> and eventually his church fired him. Um, not because dogs were named after him, but they just didn't agree with him. But more seriously, Calvin suffered greatly physically. He had a lot of ailments. It's, it's believed that he had an assortment of things wrong, like colic, malaria, gout, kidney stones, migraines, and hemorrhoids. Had to throw that one in there. He had a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. But even more tragic, he suffered the death of his only child just 10 days after he was born. And 10 years into his marriage, his wife, that he loved so much, died, and he was so grieved he never remarried. John Calvin's life shows us that we're not exempt from hardship. Yes, God is a shield about us. Yes, he delivers us from harm. But he doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. In fact, he said as much when he spoke to his disciples and he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, another thing is that his half-brother, James, wrote an epistle that we have in our Bible, the book of James. And in his writings, he said, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various sorts, various types of of trials. Count it as joy. Now, if we're going to take Jesus and his brother seriously, then I think we have to see God is always using hardships that are in our lives to make more out of us than we ever thought possible. He is at work even in our difficulties. And Hebrews 12 verses 3 and beyond helps us understand this. I'm reading this morning out of the NIV. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son? And it says, and he's quoting Proverbs here, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Does he love you today? Who here, who here believes God loves you? Raise your hand. 
All right, so this verse is for you. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Therefore, I added that one, endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as his children. (laughs) You know, when it says, um, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood, I don't think he's talking about that skinned elbow you got when you were playing church softball. I don't think that he means the nosebleed you got at church camp. I don't think it's the paper cut that you got folding church bulletins. I don't think it's the great stapler debacle of 1988 down in Children's Church. I don't even think it's the bloodshot eyes you got from that 1993 youth group lock-in. Though it was very, very hard, let me tell you. I'm still trying to survive. That was 30 years ago. Some of you were there. I barely survived. That's not the struggle he's talking about. That's not the bloodshed he's talking about. You know, I I scraped my finger the other day and I was laughing with some of the staff of Boy the Ball that I had now shed blood for the sake of the gospel. That's not what he's talking about. In your struggle against sin, the writer of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Can I give you the Chris Hyatt translation? Stop whining about how hard your life is. Because last time I checked, you're still standing upright and you have yet to shed blood for the redemption of mankind. Jesus shed the blood. There are many martyrs that have shed blood, but even their blood was for the sake of the gospel, but it didn't offer salvation like Jesus has did. You've not had it that hard. And so these hardships you're facing are designed to put something into you, not simply take something from you. I think a lot of church people need to stop walking around with a victim mentality where they see themselves as victims of everything and everyone. And it's always about me, 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 me. It's like that great line from the Brady Bunch movie. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Inside joke, I'm sorry. We have a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but they're really just victims. They have a victim mentality. They're not willing for God to actually heal where they've been hurt, because we've all been hurt. And we all need to be healed. But they would rather be a victim than to be an overcomer. And that is deadly for them. And it makes them ineffective in being useful in his hand. As the church, we've got to stop making excuses about bad, poor behavior because of things that have happened to us. Or blaming other people for the things that went wrong in our lives. At some point, we have to come to Jesus and let him heal us of our injury, of our wound, of our hurt, and let him make us useful in his hand. And as Jesus followers, we have to stop acting like consumers. That's what a lot of Christians do. They go down a list of things that churches can provide for them. Well, they don't do so well here, but they're pretty good with the youth group. But boy, that worship leader, what's wrong with him? And that pastor, I may send him a death threat. I don't know, you know, joke. We just analyze, we consume, we, we look if it's four stars or more before we're willing to buy it. 
But that's not what God called us to be, to be consumers. He called us to be disciples and to lay down our lives and our preferences and to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and to follow him. For you see, we are to fellowship his sufferings every bit as much as we're to glory in his resurrection. That's a good time to say amen. What the writer of Hebrews is getting at is that we should endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. And that Greek word for discipline is pedia. And it means training, education, um, instruction, formation, and correction. Not so much punishment for mistakes as training for growth. Think of a military boot camp. It's that kind of discipline that's going through. Jamie and I have a friend, many of you know Alan Hoskin. He works with the Methodist Church. He also works with Boy With The Ball, a new program that they're doing called Pipeline. Alan is a really wonderful friend. And he just turned 50 a few weeks ago, but a few months before that, he signed up for the US Army to be a military chaplain. And I looked at him and said, are you crazy? <laughs> You're 50 years old. He's like, I know, but I feel like the Lord is saying for me to do it. And so even as we speak right now, he is in three months of boot camp, officer training, and chaplaincy training for the U.S. military. Now, he's going to be one of those weekend warriors, the U.S., the National Guard. So he will be able to do a lot of his other duties but he is in a boot camp and hardship is happening. Now he told me for chaplains, they take it easy on us. But dude, at 50, it's still gonna be hard. I mean, I'm impressed. He's in great shape. I'm like, I'm in awe of your deeds right now. Boot camp, that's the enduring of hardship that leads to a disciplined life. That leads to discipleship in our life. Hebrews is saying that when God disciplines us, it's not necessarily the result of us doing something wrong. It could be. It's not just dealing with us because we've made a mistake. It's putting things into us so we can be effective for his work. It could be that until we find these hardships that lead to an enduring discipline, that we won't be effective in his hand. And without them, we won't have what we need for doing the work of the ministry he's called us to. Now, of course, I realize that we have a very real enemy that's working against us. He's the father of lies. He's the source of all evil. And we're definitely called to resist him. Scripture tells us to. And we are called to not give in to his schemes. And we're not to be overcome by evil. But just a quick read of the book of Job or the life of Peter, and we can quickly see that God allowed Satan to sift them both. What makes us think that he won't allow Satan to do the same thing to us? Are we special? Sifting. Sifting. And, and as his children, as God's children, we must understand that the hard things we face in life, God is accomplishing his will. So that time you got laid off or passed over or mistreated or left behind, 
That time you wrecked your car or lost a friend or got bad news or diagnosis. Even when you've been shunned and misunderstood and deserted and falsely accused. Those things the enemy meant for evil, but your father is meaning them for good. That's what Romans 8.28 says. That he works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The good, the bad, the ugly, whatever, he works them together to discipline us so that we can be useful in his hand. He is using them to discipline you, not punish you. Jesus already took our punishment. He's using them to train you, to build you up, to get you ready, to make you useful. Look back at verse 7 of Hebrews 12. Endure hardship. I'm reading it again. Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. But much more, how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. In order that we may share in his holiness, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. Whatever hardship you are experiencing right now, as a follower of Jesus, recognize that it's for your good. He's using it for your good. So that, the Hebrews writer says, that you can share in his holiness. But secondly, and the point I want to really make today, is that the hardship you're facing legitimizes you as his child. It proves you're his kid. Proving that you have been adopted, you're no longer an orphan, you're now a son or daughter of the Most High God. J.I. Packer said, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel, even higher than justification. And I believe that. It makes sense to me because justification is a legal act and it's something necessary for us to walk with the Lord. It's where the unrighteous are made righteous through Christ Jesus. And praise God that those who are in Christ have been justified in him. But adoption is relational. It's a relational reality where God takes orphans like you and me who are outsiders on the outs and he makes them a part of his family. He brings them in 
And he gives them every social and emotional and relational right that goes with adoption. We belong to him now. He is our father. To be adopted means we no longer are orphans. We're his children. We're in the family where we get to experience his love and all the blessings that he showers upon his children. Justification, yes. Purification, certainly. But also his spirit of residing, abiding in us. And his promises being fulfilled to us. And his future being declared for us. The Apostle Paul made this same point in Romans 8. By the way, my daughter, youngest daughter, Emily, did a Bible study during the um, COVID months. And you can see it's on the spirit of adoption or sonship. And you can just go to YouTube and type Emily Reap and adoption and you'll see it. It's a great, I think, four-week study or five. I don't remember, several things. But she has some great insights on these truths of what it means to be a son as opposed to being an orphan. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of Christians, they have been called sons. He made them right and adopted them, and they're still acting like orphans. That's where the problem comes in. But Paul talks about the spirit that we have been given of adoption. In Romans 8, verses 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We best not miss this because it changes everything for us. We are now his kids, and that matters. Heirs of the Father, joint heirs with the Son. We're not orphans living in fear of being left out or left behind or never healed or always forsaken. No, we are his family. And because we're in his family, Things are different when we face hardship because it's not wasted. It's useful to our discipline and to our training and to making us what we are called to be. Back at Hebrews 12, that one verse we read it already, verse 8. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. Wow. That means those that are not his children are illegitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Based on this verse and all that we've talked about this morning, our primary concern should not be about when we endure hardship, but if we have it at all. Because if we don't, that could call into question our legitimacy as his children. Because enduring hardship as discipline is validation that we've been adopted into his family in the first place. When I was 14, I started working for my dad. Is he here? There he is. I, I mentioned him last week and he wasn't here. So I just wasn't sure where he was. 
Actually, I know he was fishing, but he got a, he got a written excuse. I started working for him. Now, I'd already been working for him because my dad believes in work. And, you know, I was already at his office cleaning windows and cleaning toilets and sweeping floors and cleaning out gutters and stuff like that. But I was really excited at 14 that they, he officially hired me as an employee. He ran a communications company called Caprock Communications, and, and they provided two-way radio systems and answering services, like with switchboards and operators and all of that, and paging services. Uh, and they provided it in southeastern New Mexico for ranchers and farmers and oilmen and, and all these different, sometimes doctors. You see, kids, before all of us had cell phones, uh, we had to rely on other means of communication than memes and Instagram and TikTok. So this was a company that dad ran and it provided smoke signals. I mean, it's provided uh, uh, two-way radios that they put in cars. And so he hired me um, as a radio installer, 14. And when he did... There was another young guy there. He's about 20, 21 or so. His name was Tommy, I think. I think it was Tommy. It feels like it was Tommy. And uh, he is also a radio installer. And uh, Tommy is someone that you might call a slacker. He, he just didn't work real hard. He kind of uh, sloughed around and didn't, he didn't get a lot done. And I saw it right away. Uh, and I'm sure my dad did too, but... Right off the bat, I realized I was working faster and working harder, and Tommy was happy just to let me do it, as long as he didn't have to do it. And so I, I thought, surely my dad would see how hard I was working and how little he was working and would reward me, but he never did. He just kept giving me more work. <laughs> oh, you're done? Good. Go do this. What about Tommy over there? Are you done with that? Good. Go do this. He just kept adding work to my plate and Tommy just sloughing off and peddling around like nobody's business. I'm like, there's some injustice here. I don't like this. And so finally, one night in frustration, I said to my dad, why do you keep giving me more work and you let Tommy skate by with the bare minimum? And he just looked at me and he said, Tommy's not my son. You are. Sonship brings responsibility. Being adopted into his family brings responsibility. It also brings great blessing. I'm glad I'm my dad's son. I'm glad he had the foresight to be hard on me and to add to my plate because I needed discipline. I needed to be trained, and so do you. What you think you're going through, I bet you could take some more, and God knows what you need. My dad taught me how to work, and God is here trying to teach us how to do the same. He helped me to learn how to endure hard things. And if you're not disciplined, then you're not his kid. If you wanna get out of hardship, and out of enduring it, then it means you're not a part of the family. But when you're in the family, get ready, because he disciplines the ones he loves. 
not with evil intent, not out of anger, not even as our earthly parents had done. He does it perfectly. He's not there to harm you. He's not there to make your life miserable. He's there to make you who he called you to be. He disciplines us because we're his children. We get to call him Abba, Father. And though it may not be pleasant at the time, maybe even painful, later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for all of us, for we have been trained in the boot camp of God. May we as his children hear the word and receive it. Donna's going to come and I'm going to ask those who are sharing the elements uh, at the Lord's table to come. Every first Sunday of the month, we as a church community gather at the Lord's table. And we do it family style. So there are going to be four groupings here at the front. And they're going to have the bread and the cup. And we're going to encourage you to come. And if you're here alone or just a couple, we're going to probably have others grab you and have a come as a group. You know, six, eight, ten people in a circle. And in that place you'll be able to participate at the Lord's table. Now, let me just say this. This is not our table. This is not our church's table. This is the Lord's table. And so if you belong to Jesus, then you belong at this table. So come if that's where you are. If you don't belong to Jesus and you'd like to, I'll be here at the front and I'd be happy to pray with you because that's really all it takes confessing and believing and surrendering your life to him. Donna's going to share what her insights are and then we're going to pray for the cup and pray for the bread and then encourage you to come. I just want to read two passages out of Romans. Um, I'm not. I'm going to read one passage out of Romans. (laughs) (laughs) Moreover, Let us also be full of joy now. Let us exalt and triumph in our troubles, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. This endurance is like fortitude, and it develops maturity, proven faith, integrity, character, And this type of character produces the habit of joyful and confident hope. Wow. Such hope never disappoints us or brings us to shame, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you, Lord. I want to develop a habit of responding to hardship as though it is discipline. Um, When I was younger, um, my dad had a different opinion about something I wanted to do than I did. And I worked really hard to change his mind and he just would not be moved. And finally he said to me with great compassion, he said, look, I could be wrong about this, but if you submit to me and I'm wrong, you're still gonna be right you're going to be okay. You're not going to be harmed. (laughs) And I think that when we relate to the Lord, that's so much what he says to us. If you would just 
get in sync with me, God's not ever wrong. But if it feels wrong, it's okay. You're still going to be right. That's right. So my prayer for us today is that we submit to the hardship, number one, Mm. so that we won't be harmed. We'll only be helped. Yes. And that the hardship will indeed produce in us fortitude, maturity, integrity, and we will find ourselves responding to everything life brings with a unswerving hope. Yes. Let's pray together. Father, we do say yes to you today. Throughout the worship and um, the word that Grace shared and then James as well, you've been sending a loud and clear invitation. Yes, you have. To stop seeing it the way we do, whatever the it is, whether it's a circumstance that won't move or a relationship that can't change, or our own, our own hearts, our own view of ourselves and what's happening. But you've been giving us a, a very loud and clear invitation to yes. stop, to look at you, to believe you, to declare you, and to say no to lesser things. So, Father, we do want to endure hardship as discipline, believing, first off, that you love us and that everything is for our good. And then, secondly, that we would begin to see the hardship as something else. Yes. So we're not prone to feel that we've been victimized, that we've been overwhelmed or Life has been unfair to us. You're our father. Yes, you are. That's the great equalizer. And we don't need something else. We really just need you. Yes, that's right. So thank you for making it clear. Thank you for giving another opportunity for obedience, for submission. And we agree with you and what you want to do in each person here, in whatever the thing is that they're facing, you have overcome. And this invitation is for us to join you in that place of victory. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray for everyone here today who's been adopted into the family but is still living life like an orphan. They don't see you as father, Maybe they've been hurt by their own father. Maybe they've, they've been wounded, been led astray, allowed evil spirits in. I pray, God, that you would break that in their lives and allow them to cry aloud, Abba, Father. And that the spirit of sonship, of adoption, would overwhelm them in Jesus' name. And flush out anything that has cluttered their life, that has broken their life, that has led them astray. May we see the fatherhood of God in our lives and it set things right for us. The way we relate to our spouses, the way we live our lives and our careers, the way we relate to others, to our children, to our parents. Lord, let your fatherhood of God be exalted in our midst. 
as we draw near to the table this morning, we recognize the price that Jesus paid, that we could call God Father once again. He made a way where there was no way. He paid the price that we could not pay. And so as he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. He broke it off and gave it to us. And we know that the bread of heaven has come down. And we now live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And then he took the cup and in the same way, he passed it to them and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant, the blood of Jesus, my own blood shed for you for the remission of your sins. As we drink it and as we eat the bread, we do it in remembrance of you. We don't forget what you've done. And we live in that reality today. And so as we come now as a spiritual family, we gather at your table and ask that you administer to our hearts. Set us free from our burdens, from our sin, from our evil thoughts and from the things that hold us in bondage. Deal with our anxiety and our fear, the things we grapple with, the things we cling to. Lord, cleanse us, make us whole again, and let us walk in the full sonship of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.